All right, let's say all amen together, okay? Amen. <laughs> all right, we're so glad you're here with us on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. We join Christians all over the world as we celebrate once again the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event that took place over 2,000 years ago, and yet the world stops to celebrate it even to this day. Christianity is real because Jesus walked out of that tomb on the third day. And as we have often said here, God is in the business of changing lives. This day changed the world. This day can change your life. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're in Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one under the seat in front of you. If there isn't, feel free to steal the persons who's sitting next to you. All right, we're a giving, sharing church. And the title of my message this morning is Day One. Day One. And we start in chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel, verse 1. And let's take a look together. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them cause, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their heads, faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb, and they told the, all these things to the eleven who were uh, all at the rest, and to all the rest, excuse me. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who, with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them to be idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooped down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. There are two words that I want you to notice from those 12 verses. They are both reactions to the empty tomb. Number one, the women, when they got there and they saw that the tomb was empty, they were perplexed by that. Notice that word. When Peter had heard and ran to this tomb and he stooped down to look and saw the linen clothes there by themselves, the body of the Lord gone, he was marveling within himself. These words have significant meaning and they truly speak to an issue that we are experiencing today. You see, those words that we read there in our text 
are words that are given to us to describe the confusion of these individuals when they had finally gotten to the tomb. Now, Mary fully expected Jesus to be there. They had the spices. They were going to tend to his body. When the women came back and said, oh, he's gone, he rose, just like he said he would, the apostles reacted in the apostle fashion. Yeah, right. You guys are crazy, okay? We know marijuana is legal, but you don't have to smoke it. He's not there, okay? He's not there. They were idle talks. But when Peter looked down and saw that the grave was empty, it says that he marveled within himself. He didn't understand all that was going on. He didn't understand the ramifications of the necessity of the empty tomb. He didn't understand what this meant to him personally. And that sure is reflectant of many people today. A poll was recently taken that out of the 60% of Americans who attended church last Easter Sunday, only uh, a small percentage of them really knew and understood what the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means. So he walked out on the third day. Okay, what does that mean? Why do, should I care? How does that impact my life here in the city of Chicago in 2023? Many people, including many Christians, are confused. They don't fully understand. They're perplexed. They marvel within themselves, trying to understand the true meaning of the resurrection. I, I think of a story I heard of a wonderful Sunday school lady who was teaching these four and five-year-olds. And one Easter Sunday, she had the kids come into her classroom as she normally does, and she said to them, hey, today is a really special day. Does anybody know why this day is special? And then they had that one little girl that I think we all had in our class at one time. It was usually a young lady who was overly enthusiastic. She knew the answer to everything. She raised up her hand enthusiastically, and the teacher was looking for anyone else that she could possibly call on because this girl gives the answers all the time. Finally, the girl stood on her chair and said, teacher, teacher, I know, I know. And she goes, okay, so what does this day mean? She goes, today is Easter Sunday. She said it all happy. She goes, that's amazing. She goes, do you know what it means? Oh, yes, this is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And the Sunday school teacher was like, oh, that is fantastic. But then the little girl said, yeah. And if he sees his shadow, he goes in for seven more weeks. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. So this morning, I want to sum it all up for you. Early on in our church's history, when we were still a Bible study, we had this gentleman coming who was a new believer at that time, and he had wonderful questions. He would always ask me really great, great questions, and I looked forward to answering them. But when I would give him an answer or when he would ask me, he always put a caveat to it. He says, now I've got a question, and I want an answer in one sentence or less. And I'm like, oh, okay. And each and every time he would ask a question, I would have to think carefully 
about that answer because, again, he wanted it in one sentence or less. Today, I'm going to sum that up for you. I'm happy to say that that gentleman is here with us today, 25 years later, and he's still asking these questions, but now he gives me two sentences. Thanks, Doug. (laughs) Here it is. Here we go. One sentence. In fact, it comes from the Bible itself. If I had to sum up the significance of the resurrection in one sentence, this is how I would do it. It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul himself gives us this one-sentence summation of the significant impact of the resurrection upon humanity. As he wrote, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If I had to sum it up, this is how I would do it. I would sum it up this way. That the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes this possible. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. And this truly speaks to the heart, one of the heart issues that many people are struggling with today. And that is the desire for a new start in life. So many people today have indicated that they wish that they could do it all over again. That they could make different decisions. That they could make uh, different choices. And that they then could benefit from the wisdom of their mistakes and do it all over again. If I only had the opportunity to go back in life with the wisdom I've gained today and live it all over again, oh, I would do things so differently. But as far as I know, with all of the scientific advances that we have made, we cannot stop the aging process. Though they're trying, and though some people are... Well, they're having surgeries and Botox and so forth in hopes that they will look young again. Nothing can turn back time. But in Christ, we can have a fresh start. We can have a new beginning. And this desire that these people have for one reason or another is something that haunts them. They want to do it over again. People are really introspective today, aren't they? I often say that the space that people occupy the most is their own heads. They dwell there. They think about things. They chew on things. Often they conclude that they're incredibly unhappy in life, looking for ways to find that happiness, to obtain it. And then once obtaining it, they look to maintain it some way, somehow. But in the Bible, we are told that in Christ, all things can be made new and all old things have passed away. The scientific term for a process that they are beginning and monitoring over a long period of time is called day one. The day one experiment. This is how they launch an experiment and then begin to monitor its progress over a period of time, specifically a long period of time. And in Christianity, we can have what is known as a day one experience. 
a new start. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of that day one experience, allowing for people to have a brand new start in Jesus Christ. Today, many Christians don't understand that after Jesus Christ rose from the grave, ascended back into heaven, many just feel that his work stopped there, that he is no longer actively involved in their personal lives, and that can't be farther from the truth, for he is actively working today. You see, what happened is that the Bible tells us that from the very beginning, God created all things. And when he created all things, they were in a perfect state. In fact, the technical term that all Texans have adopted, it's all good, y'all good, is actually from the Bible. God stood back and he looked upon his creation and says, it's all good. It was perfect. But a moment in time occurred where they thought that they could perfect God's perfection. And they had an opportunity to obey God or to disobey God. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And from that point forward, sin came into the world. And every person born after that occasion was born into sin. But not only did sin permeate all of God's creation, what came with sin was death. And that death still reigns to this day. One out of one person dies. And as a result, often we think that death is caused by some uh, intervention of the simple reality that we are in. But it's not that simple. Death is due to a theological reason. That theological reason is sin. Sin has led to death. And this would have continued to go and to move forward and to continue to destroy all things that it infected. The only way that God could ever reverse course was to interject himself into his own creation. And that's exactly what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. In the person of Jesus Christ, God himself came. And he interrupted that process. In fact, he stopped it for anyone who will believe in him. In him and our faith in him, being a Christian following Jesus, allows us to have eternal life. Old things have passed away and now all things become new. And that restoration all began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not, does it, not only does it permeate individuals who believe, it gives new life. And in that new life, hope, joy, peace, things that this world cannot provide for us. But the Bible says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ also began a work of a new heavens and a new earth that have been waited for and anticipated ever since the fall of man. For we who are believers in Christ, this promise has been given to us in the light of Christ's resurrection. The meaning of the resurrection of Christ did not happen, and therefore it would not be true if this work didn't continue on to this day. God is working today as much as he did that day that he went to the cross, he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. 
I read an article from a university professor from the University of Kent who made this statement, and I thought this was interesting. The demand for instant identity transformation has never been so persuasive. People want to change. We have a lot of talk about transition today, don't we, in many different contexts. But the Bible says that God is not offering tra uh, transition. God is offering transformation. I'm going to renew you from the inside out. And as a result, you will be a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Let's go back to that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Notice with me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here's the stipulation, here's the condition. This is for the person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This promise is for you. Now, maybe that doesn't describe you this morning, and I'm glad you're here. We're all glad you're here. If you don't know Christ, I am so glad that you came this morning. Today is your appointment with God. God wants you to hear this. I don't think anyone brought you here to church this morning by gunpoint. You came because you were invited, thinking that you were simply just coming along because someone invited you. Let me tell you, someone did invite you, but it wasn't the person that you're thinking of. It was God himself. God wanted you here today to hear this. For the Christian, he, is, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. And within this verse, we see that transformation that we've discussed. The term new creation is an act of God in the life of the individual. It's something that only God can start within the life of the one who has come to him. Now, often when we think of new creation, we think of new condition, right? New condition. How many of you, are like me, like the smell of a new car? Okay, there's all three of us here. All right, praise God. But we know that the moment that we buy that car and that we enjoy that new car smell, that it's only a matter of time until we are going to have to artificially enforce that. You know, I love it when I bring my beater into the car wash and they ask me, do you want that new car smell? It's like, hey, I barely got it here. If I can drive away with new car smell, I'm good. That's what many think of here. But the new creation that God is talking about is much different. It's a process that has begun in the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. And it's perfecting that person over a period of time. God talked about doing a new thing in Isaiah 43, 19. When Isaiah said, Behold, I do a new thing, God speaking here. Now it shall spring forth, you shall know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What does he mean here? He means that he is starting something, and it's not that it's going to go from new to old. It's going to go from restored to perfection. It's working upwards. You know, we were recently in the Galena area this week. 
And in the Galena area, there is this novelty tourist uh, attraction called Gravity Hill. Have you ever heard of this? It's where you park your car on a certain point of the road, put it in neutral, and the car, instead of rolling downhill, rolls uphill, contrary to gravity. That's exactly what God begins to do in your life. He begins to work against the gravity of the decay of society. He takes you in an upward trajectory, an upward course. He starts a new work, and he is faithful and just to, uh, he is faithful to finish that work because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. That upward trajectory is only something that God can do in your life. That's why here at Calvary we have a saying. We call ourselves works in progress. We're all works in progress. We're not going to be perfectly perfected until we stand before the Lord in that day. But as we go through this world, God is working in us, slowly but surely, taking us out of the old life and bringing us into the new. And as a result, he says, behold, I do a new thing. This new life is also from an eternal perspective. Notice what Paul says when he wrote in Romans 8.30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Meaning that God is going to finish the work that he started in you. But not only you and I, we're the beginning of that process, but all of creation will be renewed. As he says in Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create the new heavens and the new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And all of this is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is starting a new work. God is working in the life of those who are his. God is doing something that only God can do in a person's life. But Paul realized this, the early church realized that it was a work of God and not a work of us. I know many people who have tried to reinvent themselves over the years, choosing another identity to associate with, to give them attention, to you know, show themselves unique and different, etc. Well, if you want to be unique and different and change more than just assuming an identity... Come to Christ, because Christ will do something in you that only He can do, and that is transform you from the inside out. And all of this is because of the resurrection. Notice that Paul again, Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His spirit who dwells in you. And this new life is further discussed in Romans 6, verses 5 and 6. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old man or the old life was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this old Life passing away, all old things passing away means to come to an end, so they no longer are there. And behold, all things become new. And now we begin to see in a whole new light 
it is now possible for real change to take place in a person's life the moment they come to Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, you may have a question. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that all these things after the resurrection of Jesus Christ can start to become better, but then why is our world going in the opposite direction? See, the Bible tells us that too. For every person who comes to Christ, that new life, that new work will begin in his or her life. But see, the world is in a trajectory and in a direction moving away from God. And we are truly in our own free will, writing our own future and apart from God, though he is working in it all to bring about his purposes and plans. The Bible tells us that things in this world are going to get worse before they get better. Jesus told us that up front. But he also told us that as you go through trial, trouble, and tribulation, I'll go through it with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I'll allow you to have joy when joy shouldn't be found. I will allow you to stand in an insecure time securely in me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has allowed for all of that. For us who are Christians, this is the worst it's ever going to be. It's only going to get better. But for those who are not in Christ, this is the best that it'll ever be. And to enjoy it at this moment, for things will get worse before they get better. Now back to our text in the Gospel of Luke. We talked about the confusion of the women who came to the tomb and also that of Peter. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They couldn't put it into context. They were looking at it and the terms marveled and perplexed are used. You see, they were operating from a position of hopelessness. Why? Because their hopes had been dashed just three days earlier at the cross. They listened to Jesus for three years. They followed him. They saw him as their Messiah, rightfully so. But in their hearts, they still expected him to raise Israel up from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They expected Jesus to become their seated king there in Jerusalem. And that they were going to occupy places of prominence and position there in Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene rested all of her hopes on the forgiveness that Jesus showed her and offered her. And yet at his crucifixion, it seemed like everything had come to an abrupt end. It didn't go as planned. Often Christians get stumbled the most when things don't go as planned. And when life throws you a curveball, things go sideways. But with God, not everything that we see means what we think it means. Do we get that? That God is doing something greater. That God is working in and through all things for our good, who are those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So they didn't get it. So now coming and confronted by the empty tomb, they didn't get it again. It was like whiplash. They didn't understand. And their hopelessness was confronted 
with something that now truly confused them. Oh, wait a minute. I, I thought it was all over. Now, what, what, what is this? Things aren't always as they seem to be. I was reading a story about a man who was down and out financially. He was looking for a job. Couldn't find one. And had heard through the grapevine that they were hiring at the local zoo. And he said, hey, maybe I'll go down there and I'll get a job feeding the animals. So he went down and he spoke with the zoo. And the zoo told him, listen, we don't have any jobs available right now. And he's like, oh, man, I was hoping. But then the people in the zoo started talking amongst themselves, looking and sizing up this gentleman who was very large. And they said, listen, we've got an opportunity for you. Now, it's a little unorthodox, might seem a little strange when we ask you, but if you're interested, we'll hire you. And the guy goes, oh, well, I need a job. So they said, okay, look, two days ago, our gorilla died, and we're waiting for a new one. We're waiting for a new one. Now, it's going to be a couple of weeks, but we got a huge, it is spring break, and all the kids will be here, and they all want to see the gorilla. Now listen, we bought a gorilla suit in anticipation of hoping to find someone to fill it. You're about the right size. Are you interested in becoming our gorilla until we get our actual gorilla? Well, the guy was down and out. He's like, a job's a job. I'll take it. So he put on the suit. And now he made his debut in front of all of the kids that were there at the zoo looking and waiting in anticipation for the gorilla, but he felt so stupid inside. You know, what do gorillas do? You know, what am I supposed to do? And, you know, so he walked out, and all the kids are cheering, and he's leaning against the wall, you know. <laughs> he doesn't know how to act like a gorilla. But then he started to notice something, and that he didn't have to do much to get their attention. And after he would do such sim- silly things, they would all applaud. All the kids would love it. So on day two, he did a little bit more. He rode around on a unicycle. (laughs) He beat his chest and became more and more like a gorilla. On the third day, he said, well, I'm going to step it up a notch. So there in his pen, there was this trapeze that he grabbed and started swinging from one side of the exhibit to the other. Unfortunately, he swung a little too far and ended up flying into the next exhibit, which was the lion exhibit. And there he is confronted as the lion is now looking at him. He goes with his back against the wall. He has nowhere to go. He knows that he can't cry out because right away he would give up his identity. So he didn't know what to do, but the lion kept advancing. So finally... He just started screaming, help, help. And the lion said to him, shut up. You're going to give us both away. (laughs) Things aren't always what they seem to be. And often when we look at things and we become hopeless, it's because we're looking from our perspective and not God's perspective. It has been said that a man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, but only eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. And maybe you've come here today, you're discouraged. Maybe your life has not gone the way you had hoped it would go. 
You were hoping to be married by this time and are still single. You were hoping that your marriage would be strong, but in fact, it is falling apart. You were hoping your business would be successful, but it's gone belly up. Or perhaps a tragedy has befallen you. You have lost a loved one, perhaps unexpectedly. Maybe you've encountered an unexpected illness. Or maybe you have just lost hope altogether because of the climate of our society. When one defines hope, they define it as an optimistic attitude of of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes related to events and circumstances in one's life or at the world at large. People have said to me, Christians and non-Christians alike, that they're losing hope. In fact, the Chicago Tribune just recently published an article that stated more Americans now than ever before are becoming more skeptical of the hope of a better tomorrow. In a recent poll, they they found more than 76 of people stated that their hope in the future is fading. And as a result, more and more individuals are struggling with such things as depression and despair. Many doctors today have told us that they believe that the bedrock of depression and despair are simple symptoms of the hopelessness of of the person inside. Since the 1980s, we've seen such a drastic increase in suicides amongst those 10 to 14 years old, like never before. In our inner cities, we find a growing number of people under 30 incredibly hopeless. And they're hopeless because of a lack of jobs, broken families, no futures. Even people that you wouldn't expect to be hopeless are now expressing their hopelessness. Angelina Jolie just recently said, I didn't want to live, she said. So anything that was an investment in time made me angry. But also I felt sad at the same time. When the hopelessness is hurting you, she said, it's the fixtures and fittings that finish you off. Meaning, she did not anticipate it. Hope is fading because many people have placed their hope in the wrong things. They place their hope in money or in relationships or the government or academics or science or worse yet, even themselves. The hope that the Bible offers to those who are in Christ is a hope that cannot be diminished. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be destroyed Because the hope is in Jesus Christ and whatever God does, nothing man can do to stop what he has begun in the life of the individual. God can change this world. God can change you by allowing you to become a new creation in Jesus Christ. I think of what C.S. Lewis said about his conversion to Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity because I believe that the sun has risen, he said. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I see the world in a new way. I see my life in a new way because I see God in a new way as well. Christianity changes everything. It changes your perspective. And looking upon the circumstances of this world in and through our own eyes can be very discouraging. 
But knowing that God is with us, it can encourage us to know that things are going exactly the way God said it was going to go 2,000 years ago. Today you have come. Now I may not know you, but God does. He knows you personally and intimately. He knows everything about you and he is so grateful that you came this morning. Because this is your appointment with God. Now, many times when I'm sharing the Lord with people who aren't Christians, who don't know Christ, they often have this feeling that, you know, I I really don't want to go to church. I I really don't want to think about God because He's just going to bring the hammer down upon me. Can I tell you that's so far from the truth? Jesus said... In John 3.17, that he has not come into this world to condemn the world, but that through him the world may be saved. Jesus is waiting for you with open arms. He doesn't care what you've done up until this point. He doesn't care how far you've walked away. You can turn around and walk right to him today. The prodigal son walked away from his father, took his inheritance, went to Vegas, Spent everything on wild living. Finally was broke and he was ending up feeding the pigs in where he found himself. And he says, what am I doing this for? Everything was so much better back in my father's house. He decided to go back in hopes that his father would at least let him become a servant. But you know what? As he came back, he found to his surprise the father waiting for him. And when he came back, the father ran towards him and restored him, as God will restore you today. But many people are afraid of God. I I heard the story of a thief who broke into a home. And as he was there, it was dark, and he was finding his way through the room with a flashlight. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hears, Jesus is watching you. He's like, what the heck? And so he went a little bit farther, and again, he hears, Jesus is watching you, and he's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then a third time, Jesus is watching you, and he flips his flashlight and finds a parrot right there. But then, as he's looking at the parrot, he begins to lower the beam of his flashlight farther down to see a Rottweiler with his teeth. And the bird then said, Jesus, sick him. <laughs> so many people have that impression of God. And yet, if you will turn to Christ today, you will find the one who loves you in such an extraordinary way. He knows what you've done. He knows what separates you from God, the sin in your life. He's made provision for that through His crucifixion. He's bridged the gap between you and God the Father. And if you desire this new life today, now I'm going to tell you, it's completely free. That's going to cost you everything. But it's completely free. You can come to Jesus Christ today by simply asking Him to come into your life. By asking Him to forgive you of your sins. To ask Him to be with you. And say, Lord, I've run away from you my entire life. I want to come back to you.
And the Bible says that He will meet you there. And a new work will begin in your life. And as that new work begins, He'll impart to you a peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that is unspeakable. He will give you a confidence, not in and of yourself, but in Him. And in that confidence, that faith in Him, it'll produce hope within your life. Why? Because you realize that He has all things in control. I know we are going through difficult things here in this country. Many are asking questions, what direction are we going? But here's the thing. Regardless of what happens around us, it's incidental because it'll never stop what God wants to do in you. And this morning, He brought you here to invite you to believe in Him. I don't work on commission, folks. I don't get, my paycheck isn't, you know, three people became Christians today, now you're going to get a bonus. It doesn't work that way. This is between you and God. I will tell you that I was 16 years old when I was given this invitation. And at 16, I realized that I needed to receive it. That's all you have to do is receive it today. Just accept Him as your Savior. Believe in Him. But I have all these questions. Everybody does. And I'll try to answer them for you in one sentence or less. (laughs) But today is your day. And today Easter can become much more than just bunnies, baskets, and bonnets. It can be a new start to your life. Everything that the world is looking for today can only be found in God. And yet, we have pushed God so far out of our thinking that we're unwilling to even consider the possibility. God loves you. He brought you here today to hear this. He is waiting for you. And if you will receive Him today, Today can be your day one. I want to leave you with this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This can be your day one. I'm going to pray. And right where you're at, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you can ask the Lord to come into your life right now, this morning. Right now. This is between you and God. We're not going to have you fill out a piece of paper or commit to giving a certain amount of money to the church. It has nothing to do with that. This has to do with you and your relationship with God. To know for certain that if anything were to happen, you'd step out of this life and enter into heaven. Do you have that assurance today? Because today is your appointment with God. Today is your day with the Lord. And I'm going to pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Father... You know each and every person that is here today. You've, you've, brought him, you've brought them here, Lord. You know everything about them. And you've brought them here today to invite them to come and to believe in you. 
Father, I pray that if anyone wants that relationship with you, to know for sure that they are a new creation in you, it's not just academic head knowledge that is needed concerning you. It's not how many Bible verses we know or the church that we attend. It has to do with having a relationship with you through Christ. You know every person here today, you know what they're at, you know what they are going through, and you offer this invitation to them if they don't know you. I pray, Lord, right now that your spirit would work in them to open their eyes to the truth, to allow them to receive you as their Savior, to come to you for the very first time and truly understand the significant impact of the resurrection, not only in this world, but more specifically in their own life. So Lord, if they would pray and just first ask that you would forgive them of their sin. Father, forgive me, for I've sinned against you. I've been walking away from you, and I desire to walk towards you. I desire to have a relationship with you. I desire that new life that was explained and discussed today. Father, I am hopeless. I, I am uh, down. I am, Father, feeling distant from you. I pray that you would come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior and allow that new life to be birthed within me that only you can give. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Maybe you've grown up as a Christian and you've walked away from the Lord. Today is your day to come back. Like the prodigal son, you'll realize that God is there waiting for you with open arms to receive you, to allow you just to come back into the family. We all struggle. We all make mistakes. We all have our ups and downs. But the door to God is always open through Christ for those who are His. So will you come back to the Lord today and ask Him to forgive you and to restore you and to bring you back to that place that you, that time that you once had where you were excited about your Christian life, where things were just so real between them and God. I just pray that you would bring them back to that place today. Father, this is a work that only you can do. And I pray that if anyone has prayed that prayer this morning, that they would share it with someone who knows you, that they can start learning and growing and to, uh, to become the men and women that you desire them to be in you. Father, we thank you for this resurrection morning. We thank you for this day and what it means and the impact and allowing us to have a new day one experience like never before. And we ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.